You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news tonight. A local protest over Hong Kong has led to a huge traffic disruption at a major Vancouver intersection and is also causing chaos at a transportation hub. Tanya Beja joins us live from Broadway and Canby. Tanya, what's happening right now? Well, Colleen, hundreds of pro-China and pro-Hong Kong demonstrators have gathered here at the corner of Broadway and Canby this evening. It started at around 4 o'clock, and uh, so far things have been quite peaceful. We've, it's a loud protest. We've heard them singing the Canadian national anthem, the Chinese national anthem, and shouting, both groups shouting back and forth at each other. But so far the protest has remained peaceful, and that was one of the concerns going into this weekend. We've seen violence erupt at similar protests in Australia, and in Hong Kong, but uh, so far that has been avoided here. The gathering is disrupting traffic, though. It's quite a large gathering, hundreds of people. It's actually spilled over onto the north side of Broadway. And so uh, police have had to get involved. They've blocked off the eastbound lanes of Broadway between Ash and Yukon, so drivers are not getting through there. Commuters, however, who need to access the Canada line can still do that. Police have opened up a pathway so that anybody who needs to head down into uh, the Canada line station can still do that. Now, pro-China demonstrators say they are here because they want to see an end to protests in Hong Kong. They want life to return to normal there. Pro-Hong Kong demonstrators say they want to see a stronger uh, democracy, democratic rule. They want an end to police intervention in the protests there. Uh, we spoke to some demonstrators. I think you have those clips here. Here's uh, what they had to say. We want to um, tell our world exactly completely what happened at Hong Kong. And we love fact. We what, what we talk about is based on fact and truth. That's it. And they said they love China, which is totally nonsense. The Chinese government is just terrible. So anybody heading into downtown Vancouver tonight will want to avoid this area, Broadway and Canby. Crowds are thinning out a little bit, but uh, no idea how long this will go on tonight. Colleen, back All to you. Right. Tanya, thank you so much for that. Now, the Vancouver rally is coinciding with other Canadian demonstrations over the troubles in Hong Kong. Dueling crowds of protesters filled the steps of the provincial legislature in Toronto today. One side in solidarity with the pro-democracy protests, another showing up to support Beijing and condemn the anti-government movement. Rallies were also held on the prairies and in the Maritimes. And in Hong Kong itself, escalating violence has not deterred protesters there. Thousands of school teachers joining pro-democracy protesters in the streets today in the 11th week of demonstrations. While this rally was relatively calm, there have been clashes in recent days. Members of China's paramilitary forces are stationed across the border, fueling speculation they could be sent in to suppress protests at any, no any moment. On Vancouver Island, police closed off a Saanich neighborhood to traffic after a body was apparently found this morning. Police tape is up in the 100 block of Crease Avenue and the intersection of Seton Street and the Galloping Goose Regional Trail was closed to all traffic. 
Residents in the neighborhood say they heard a commotion early this morning. So far, no comment from Saanich police. We did a dog walk, didn't see anything. We were actually on that corner, so we didn't notice anything. And then an hour later, I'm sitting in my living room, and then I could hear some sirens and stuff. And I said to my wife, Joyce, that sounds like it's really loud. It's coming this way. And I looked out my front window, and I saw an elderly lady standing on, her gr on the grass on the corner by herself. So I went over to talk to her and see if she needed anything or something was wrong. I thought it was my neighbor, and that's when she pointed at the the body across the street um, saying that she found a dead guy. You saw the body? Yeah, yeah we saw the body and um, she poked him to see if he was still alive. And she went over in behind here to the construction guys to get a cell phone because she doesn't have a cell phone. And then that's when she called 911. So we just stayed with her until the police and the ambulance came. Yeah. And then I heard the paramedic when he got out and he got up closer to the body. He, I heard him say, it looks like he's been shot. So that's all we know. What did and we, of course, will be following that story for you. The husband of a fallen Mountie is furious after the man who killed his wife was granted day parole for six months. Kenneth Fenton has been given the freedom little more than two years after being sentenced to four years in prison for killing Constable Sarah Beckett in a drunk driving crash in 2016. Nadia Stewart has more. The fellow that killed him got a $2,000 fine. A $2,000 fine. Marquita Collias can tell you the story behind every face on this poster. Along with her daughter, Cassandra, they all have one thing in common. The impaired drivers responsible for their deaths served little time behind bars. I've been fighting for eight years for tougher impaired driving laws. And we have a government that does not, federal government, that does not want to implement uh, tougher sentencing laws. For victims' families, it is an ongoing fight. The latest case sparking outrage involves a Vancouver Island man. Kenneth Fenton was sentenced to four years for the 2016 death of Constable Sarah Beckett. But this week, Fenton was granted day parole. Beckett's husband says the whole process is frustrating, adding insult to injury. He says he was not allowed to read his victim impact statement at the hearing. It just disgusted with the entire process. You can't for getting four years for killing someone is not right. No one was there to be a voice for Sarah today at all. And I think that Fenton got off really easy today, seeing how Sarah didn't have a voice and he did. I've been to every court appearance as a voice for that, but I wasn't notified for this. Fenton's blood alcohol level was three times the legal limit when he ran a red light trying to avoid police. His truck rammed into Constable Beckett's cruiser that he is being released so early after committing such a horrendous crime, it is disgusting. Collier says they've asked many times for the law to be changed, so these deaths would be classified instead as vehicular homicides. Despite an average of four impaired driving deaths a day in Canada, Collier says nothing has changed. We have a government that wants to, you know, has legalized marijuana, is now coming up with edibles. It'll be interesting to see what the stats will be like on impaired driving in the future. Nadia Stork, Global News. Homicide investigators have identified the victim of Friday's fatal stabbing in South Surrey. Early Friday morning, 45-year-old Delphin Paul Prestbackmo of Surrey was found bleeding from stab wounds in the 1700 block near 152nd Street near the Semiamu Shopping Centre. He was pronounced dead at the scene. Police tracked the evidence to a nearby home where a man was taken into custody. The Integrated Homicide Investigation Team and Surrey RCMP are working to establish a motive. 
Police are appealing to the victim's friends and associates to help them determine what he was doing in the hours before he was fatally stabbed. Surrey's RCMP gang enforcement team is on the hunt for two men wanted on Canada-wide warrants. 25-year-olds Shaquille Singh Basra and Amarpreet Singh Samra are accused of unlawful confinement, assault with a weapon and uttering threats. Police say both men are believed to be in the Surrey area and are associated with a black 2007 BMW X5 with BC license plate JL817D. The public is asked not to approach Basra or Samra, but to call police if you see them or know of their whereabouts. At least one person is seriously hurt after a two-vehicle crash in Surrey early this morning. It happened at around midnight at 56th Avenue at 184th Street in Cloverdale. A motorcycle and dark-colored sedan collided in the intersection. Surrey RCMP say it appears seriously serious and potentially life-threatening injuries were sustained, but it's unclear who was hurt. The road was closed for hours overnight. Police are asking anyone who saw the crash or the vehicles involved prior to it to contact them. Investigators are also looking for dash cam video. Residents of a senior's care home in Vernon are recovering from a frightening ordeal. On Wednesday night, a man armed with a knife repeatedly tried to break in while dozens waited inside for police to arrive. As Jules Knox reports, there are concerns RCMP didn't respond fast enough. The staff and the residents were terrified. Surveillance video shows a man circling around Vernon's senior's rest home Wednesday evening banging on doors and alarming residents inside. Kicking all the doors that he was going to loudly, yelling, throwing things around, patio furniture and everything like that. That prompted a first and then a second call to 911. And from there, the situation escalated even further. He then went around and it was at that time that I saw he had a knife. Maurice Tellier lives inside the home and says when he saw the weapon, he called 911 again. He said this guy was was uh, has a big knife, he's threatening our, our, our tenants and all the rest of it, we need some help. I said, I got 60, 60 seniors here and I need help now. As dozens of seniors were held hostage in their own home, staff also made a call to their general manager, Jerry Tellier. They called me at home asking me for help. They said the police haven't arrived and it's been over, in over half an hour. And I, I just couldn't believe it. He says, a, they tell me there's a man out there with a knife who's been trying to break in for over a half hour and the police aren't here. Jerry Tellier spent eight years with Calgary Police and has concerns that even after the third emergency call was made saying a knife was now involved, it still took the RCMP 15 minutes to show up. He also isn't happy with how they handled the suspect. They charged the guy with uh, mischief under $5,000 and he's released. And it's like, you've got to be kidding me, you know. I was on the police department before. What kind of charges are those? That's, a, you know, a lazy and competent officer who handled this incident. RCMP would not confirm if any charges were laid or respond to requests for an interview. As for Jerry Tellier, he's sharing this story because he wants city officials to take a close look at whether RCMP have enough officers to do the job. He also wants police to examine the situation closely from the first 911 call to when charges were laid. Jules Knox, Global News, Vernon. 
In Port Alberni, firefighters put out a suspicious fire early this morning that broke out right across from one of their fire halls. One of their surveillance cameras even captured some of it. Crews were called just before 6 o'clock this morning when a travel trailer behind a home on 10th Avenue caught fire. The flames jumped to an adjacent detached garage. It happened down the street from a fire hall. Its security camera caught the start of the fire and the quick response from firefighters. The fire is considered suspicious and RCMP are investigating. Vancouver firefighters are also investigating what sparked an early morning fire at a commercial art studio in the 1000 block of Parker Street. The fire started on the exterior and shot up the side of the building. A firefighter suffered minor injuries when he fell while helping to put out the flames. It appears Delta police may have solved the suspicious meat mystery in a local park. A mountain biker says that he witnessed a middle-aged man with Safeway bags on a trail in Watershed Park this afternoon. Police arrived and bags of meat could be seen on a vehicle. Global News has reached out to the Delta police to see if this is connected to the warning they issued earlier this week. Between July and August, the force was contacted four times about suspicious meat found in the North Delta Park. The meat, described as 7 to 10 pounds of large 2 to 3 inch chunks, was left near the trail entrance by 63rd Avenue. The discovery is concerning for dog owners in the area. I didn't see anybody, but I heard people um, that had dogs with them that said they heard that they got that the guy got arrested and then he had meat on him and I think was planning to dump some again and supposedly he had meat in his truck. Um, but when we showed up, the cops were just sitting in their car. So whatever happened probably happened earlier. So I'm glad if he is caught so this doesn't happen again. A warning to parents of newborns about a popular brand of baby food that's being recalled because it might have insects in it. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency is recalling Kraft Heinz Canada's turkey stew for babies over eight months. It was sold in B.C., Saskatchewan, Ontario, Quebec and Newfoundland and Labrador. There have been no reported illnesses, but if you have it, throw it out or return it to the store where you bought it. Countless TELUS webmail customers have been left fuming over the last few days after a major outage in Western Canada by the company. As Jill Bennett reports, customers say the worst part of the service outage has been the lack of communication from the communications giant. Email customers using TELUS.net are unable to send or receive messages. You can bet that customer service phone recording has been heard thousands of times during the past few days by frustrated TELUS email users. But when you get through now, the agents are not happy. We're losing money. We're, we're losing customers. This is not okay. The owners of this home-based business first noticed glitches with their TELUS company email on Wednesday. Now they say it's been down for days. A lot of their transactions are electronic money transfers, but without email, they can't go through. It makes it difficult because I have orders I need to, to place in that and I have quite a bit of money hanging out there somewhere on the internet. I don't know where my money is, right? TELUS has tweeted 90% or most email customers can now access the service, but no actual numbers have been shared. On Saturday, complaints from angry TELUS users were still flooding social media sites. No one from TELUS was available for an on-camera interview, but in an emailed statement, TELUS said the situation is fluid, but unfortunately the issues with the remaining servers are very complex, which is why this is taking much longer than we would like. We know that our customers are frustrated and we are incredibly sorry. 
I'm not secure with their business anymore. I'm not secure with them being able to um, get things up and running when things go down. TELUS says technicians are working around the clock to restore email service for those still without it. But until then, this is the screen those customers will see when they try and log in. Jill Bennett, Global News. A summer tradition kicked off today. The annual fair at the PNE is underway. Dozens lined up this morning when the gates opened at 11 o'clock. It's Heroes Opening Weekend when first responders and a guest are admitted for free. The Beast Ride remains out of service after it ran into mechanical problems earlier this week, but fairgoers are eager to try out all the attractions and food, of course, at the fair. What's your favorite part? Um, I love the rides and I love all the food and stuff. Well, today I'm just going to try all the food. Anything in particular? I hope there's chicken and waffles. My favorite part is the rides, like, yeah. just the elevator. It's my favorite. Yeah. I like all the food and all the festivals. I've been doing it for 50 years, so I'm tradition. It's lots of fun. Good for five hours of fun. Yeah, the hot dogs, the, I don't know, fried pickles or whatever. <laughs> Updating you now on our top story and breaking news. Protests have broken out in Vancouver with two groups taking opposing sides in the current demonstrations that are happening in Hong Kong. Tanya Beja joins us live from Broadway and Canby. Tanya, what are you hearing from the protesters? Right now, we're seeing that the pro-China protesters are slowly starting to clear the area, Colleen, but there's still quite a strong presence of Hong Kong supporters. Both groups have been chanting back and forth at each other all evening with slogans like Free Hong Kong or Stop the Violence. This, of course, one of several protests happening around the world right now as a result of the unrest in Hong Kong. We've seen drivers uh, passing by several cars waving the Chinese flag. We've also been speaking to protesters uh, gathered here at Broadway and Canby tonight uh, to hear what they have to say. Some say they just want life to go back to normal in Hong Kong. They want to see an end to the protests. Others say that speaking out now is critical. They want to defend democracy in Hong Kong. They want an end to police involvement in their protests. Uh, have a listen now to some of, what, some of what they told us. We love Hong Kong, but Hong Kong belongs to China. Hong Kong's fighting for their freedom and really freedom, I mean it's a fight that we all need to be a part of because if Hong Kong loses their freedom, who's next? Now the protest up until now, Colleen, has remained peaceful but it is disrupting traffic. Vancouver police are also uh, quite active here. They've had to block off eastbound lanes of West Broadway between Ash and Yukon, so those are closed to drivers. But uh, commuters who do need to access the Canada Line station at Broadway and Canby are still getting through. Colleen, back to you. Tanya, thank you. A massive police presence in Portland, Oregon today in anticipation of a violent confrontation. Several far-right groups held a rally while members of Anifta, a left-wing movement opposed to fascism, took to the streets at the same time. Now, Donald Trump tweeting he was considering naming Anifta an organization of terror. Tonight, protests erupt in Portland. Clashes between right-wing agitators and left-wing anti-fascists spilled out onto the streets. The conflict started when hundreds of right-wing protesters assembled for a non-permitted rally on the city's waterfront. 
They're targeting us because it's a liberal city with progressive values, and they know they'll get a rise out of us. Then they vilify us on the internet and make us look like we're the terrorists. The event, organized by former InfoWars staffer Joe Briggs, was billed as a show of force against the city's progressive Antifa movement. You know, look at it. We came in, we just did a march peacefully. We went in, planted our flag, came back out, and they're chasing us right now. I mean, it kind of shows you who's the thug and who isn't. Skirmishes broke out when left-wing Antifa groups responded. There is no speech that can't be said in this country, so that's what I'm here for. And you feel like they're trampling on that free speech? I feel like they're trying to silence it. We would love to hear your side. There's no two sides. There's Nazi and not Nazi. If you're in the street, you may be subject to arrest. More than a thousand Portland police officers were activated to keep these protests peaceful, but there were multiple flare-ups between the groups. Some even resulted in injuries. The president chiming in early this morning, considering naming Antifa an organization of terror, saying he's watching Portland closely. Tonight, another chapter in a history of violence, disrupting life for everyday Portlanders. Today marks five years since Tina Fontaine's body was found in Manitoba's Red River. It's a tragic loss for, for sure, but it's contributed to the, a renewal in our, com, in our community and, and of, of, our, of our community, and that's really important. And, and like, I'm not a stranger to that family. I, I didn't know it at the time, but I am related to uh, Joe Fable, which would be her grandfather. Fontaine's disappearance and death prompted James Fable to create the Bear Clan Patrol to help people like Tina before it's too late. Favel says tremendous progress has been made since 2014, not only with the Bear Clan, but within countless other community groups and organizations. The community is more resilient, I think, and, and there's a lot more positivity, even with all of the negative things that are happening in the community. We want to start building and come to a place where it doesn't have to be, there doesn't have to be a tragedy to, you know, to inspire people to get off their, off their couch and into the street and, and help and, 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 you know, start building in the community. We need to start doing that as a proactive measure. Fontaine was initially reported missing on July 31st, 2014. On August 17th, her body was found wrapped in a duvet cover and weighed down with rocks in the Red River. Her murder remains unsolved. The mayor of Ottawa published a moving op-ed piece today. After 40 years, Jim Watson has come out as gay. The article was published just one day before Pride celebrations kick off in Canada's capital. Watson says he spent four decades worrying about how his constituents, his family and friends would react to his secret. He says he wishes he'd shared this part of his life sooner and hopes his gesture will make it easier for others who are having doubts about coming out. In Health Matters tonight, a new study has found that children who are not getting enough sleep and spend a lot of time looking at screens are more likely to make poor decisions. A researcher in Ottawa found that children whose screen time was limited to less than two hours a day and who slept between 9 and 11 hours a night were found to exhibit less impulsive behavior. Exercise also helped. Popular belief holds that women are better at multitasking than men, but a new study shows that may not be true. Researchers in Germany tested how accurately 48 men and 48 women performed two tasks. They were asked to either perform them at the same time or switch their attention between the two. They found multitasking affected the speed and accuracy in both groups and that women performed just as poorly as men.
Oh, you have to take a look at this. The arrival of Edward, a baby rhino in San Diego, is providing hope for the future. He's the first rhino born in North America using artificial insemination and frozen sperm. And his birth has implications for an even rarer breed. Edward is a southern white rhino, a distant relative of the northern white rhino. Assisted reproduction is the only way to save the northern whites, and there are only two left in the world. It's hoped southern whites will eventually become surrogate mothers for northern white rhinos. It has been 10 years since Canada Line opened. Hard to believe why the hugely popular system wouldn't likely be built today. We're going to have that for you right after we get Yvonne's forecast. And tonight, Yvonne is live from opening day at the PNE. Hi, Yvonne. Hi, Colleen. Yes, it's been busy so far for day one of the PE, and I'm joined by a very special guest. We're just outside the Coliseum, one hour away from the show. This is Ravine. What can we look forward to for your show tonight and throughout the PE? Well, this is Canada's biggest celebration event in the summer anywhere in Canada, and they brought in the big guns, the Ravine <laughs> family. We've uh, sold out more shows than any other show coast to coast in Canada, and we are doing something so spectacular, you will not believe it. You will not want to miss the opening. You don't want to miss the closing of the show, and you'll love everything in between. It's going to be very spectacular, I assure you that. <laughs> 7.30, so don't be late. You want to catch the opening. You've also got special effects and world-class special effects in your show. That's right. If you love watching shows with a thousand butterflies flying around you, this is a show that you do not want to miss and there's so much more all right you're going to be here every night during the peony things kick off at 7 30 it's one full hour and you need to catch the beginning and the end of the show and everything in between <laughs> <laughs> excellent thank you so much for ravine for your time we appreciate it we'll let you get in there all get right, set up you, we'll see you at 7 30. okay excellent thank you so much see you there oh <laughs> All right, guys, uh, that's Ravine, and we're going to get to your forecast. It's been very pleasant, actually, for the first day of the PE. A bit of cloud cover, but it's remained dry, and I anticipate that we'll see some cloud cover for the morning hours as we get in towards the forecast. So here's a look at the tower cam right now. Temperatures have been into the low 20s for most areas through the day today. We may see a bit more cloud cover once again for the evening, and that takes us in towards the morning hours. We're sitting at 21 degrees, a light wind out of the airport at 15 kilometers per hour. It's been warm, sunny across the southern half with the Soyuz getting up to 29 degrees and cool for the northeastern areas. The peace today with a high of 12 degrees and we're tracking a different weather story across the northern half of the province. We've got the first cold Arctic front of the season that's pushing in areas near Fort Nelson. A snowfall warning has been issued with the snow developing overnight and continuing through Monday. Fort Nelson, Munchell Lake Park included within that anywhere between 20 and up to 30 centimeters Higher elevations of the Alaska Highway between Fort Nelson and Watson Lake is where we're tracking snow. In most areas near Fort Nelson, higher elevations could see some wet snow changing back over to rain. And the snow is going to ease off on Monday morning, so it kicks up overnight tonight. So a heads up on the future cast when we put it into play. It's really along the northeastern areas of the province for Fort Nelson along the Alaska Highway is where we'll see that snowfall. Most areas across the central half of the province will be seeing some wet weather in the form of rain. Coastal sections tomorrow 
chance of showers and ice clearing on the way. Inland rain, areas near Terrace getting up to 17 degrees. We've got that wet snowfall for areas near Fort Nelson. Central interior, chance of showers, but much of the southern interior, different weather picture. Sunny, dry and hot. Highs closer to 30 degrees, areas near Whistler into the low 20s. And along the south coast is where we'll be seeing some cloud cover for the morning. Northern and western island uh, sections of the island is where we could see a chance of showers. It'll ease off. It'll be much drier as we get in the afternoon. But anticipate a similar day, what we saw today. Temperatures into the low 20s. And then Monday, Tuesday, sunny and dry with temperatures potentially even getting up to 24 degrees. Fantastic forecast if you're planning on coming out to the P&E tomorrow. Colleen? Sounds good. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Ten years on, many of us can't imagine life without Canada Line. It connects Vancouver and Richmond and is the first mass transit line to an airport in Canada. But it almost didn't happen, nearly being defeated numerous times during several planning stages. Now, as Jordan Armstrong reports, TransLink uses it as a template of what to build and what not to build in the future. Three, two, one, we're open. A success from the start. The opening day crowds were a sign of things to come. Today, the Canada Line is overcrowded. It needs to expand. Something TransLink's top man is working on. More trains are coming and more escalators to platforms. Platforms that compared to other metro systems around the world are short. Many of the platforms are only 40 meters long. They have areaways behind the walls that you can punch them out. So they did envision, which was smart, um, that eventually you would expand it, but that will take time and money. Kevin Desmond wasn't here a decade ago when Canada Line opened, but he is among the many who acknowledge the system was underbuilt. Clearly they, they had a mission to build this in time for the Olympics. There was only so much money available. You had a partnership of YVR, the federal government, the province and, and the region, TransLink, funding the project. Um, there were a lot of debates, obviously a lot of political debates about it. But in retrospect, I think everybody could have said, if only there was more money, if only we could have built this bigger, and really envisioned the explosion that's been around the corridor. Something to keep in mind as TransLink looks towards future projects like SkyTrain to Langley and the Broadway Corridor. That's a public discussion we have to have, is what type of long-term robust enough funding for public transportation can society bear. Despite Canada Line's crowding issues, we can't forget the line was almost never built, rejected twice by the TransLink board. Instead, talk of light rail down Arbutus. Today, many riders can't imagine life without Canada Line, especially those who remember the long bus ride from Richmond. What used to be maybe 40 minutes is only like 15 minutes now. Desmond says the overcrowding is a sign of success, not just for Canada Line, but for the entire region. A busy transit system is emblematic of a thriving, busy place to live. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Barry joins us now. Love the Canada Line. Sure, it's a, it's a great uh, option if it's you don't have to use option. your car. Barry's here with Sports Now, and I'm going to listen to you with rapt attention because I want these guys to win. It's always fun. You know, these little 12-year-olds from Coquitlam and the whole country, you know, they're paying attention you to bet. what these guys are doing. We're a proud nation, love when our 
teams compete worldwide. Thanks, Colleen. The boys uh, from Coquitlam lost their opener at the Little League World Series on Friday, 5-0 to Mexico. It's a double knockout tournament, so still a chance for the Canadian champs to make a run, but they absolutely had to beat Italy today to stay alive, and this game just finished. Canada won it by the final of 10-0, and they had a two-hour-plus rain delay. We will have highlights of this one tonight at 11. Meanwhile, some tennis now. Semifinals at the Audlin Brown Vancouver Open. 16-year-old Leila Annie Fernandez from Laval, Quebec, taking on Heather Watson of Great Britain. Fernandez, Canada's next bright light in women's tennis. Left-hander, and she'll turn 17 next month. Won the Junior Girls French Open this past June. Nice put away there. And later in the set, steps into a big forehand and delivers the winner to the corner. First set went to a tie break. Heather Watson, though, in the near court. Nice deep approach here. Fernandez nets it. Watson won the tie break and the match, 7-6-6-2. So Watson goes to the final. A nice run by the 16-year-old Fernandez, but it ends with a semifinal loss. And we've got Minto Cup, National Junior Lacrosse Championships at Langley Event Center. Victoria Shamrocks lose their second straight 13-10 today to Okotoks, Alberta. Coquitlam Adenax meet the Ontario champs Orangeville Northman tonight at 7. Both teams won their respective openers. Well, Adam Hadwin's had a good year on the PGA Tour. He'd like to make it a very good year, but he has some work to do this weekend in Chicago at the BMW Championship, the second of the three FedEx Cup playoff tournaments. Hadwin needs to finish in the top 30 this week to advance to the Tour Championship in Atlanta. That's 30th overall in the standings. He'll have to finish fourth in the tournament to do it, and he's right in the mix. He was tied fifth entering today's third round. Perfect scoring traditions at Medina. Of course, not used to giving up the low scores we've seen so far. Unfortunately, Hadwin could only muster a 1 under 71 as only TV time, this routine par, but at 10 under in 13th place needs fourth or better to advance, so he needs a big day Sunday. Tiger Woods looking resplendent in yellow. Was out early, 5 under 67 for Tiger, one of his best rounds of the year. Tied 31st, needs to be 10th or better to get into the Tour Championship, and that seems like a long shot. It was another spectacular day of shot-making at Medina. Tony Finau on the 4th, 120 yards out, past the pin, sucks it back for an eagle 2, tied for the lead at that point. But Justin Thomas outdid everyone. He had himself a day, birdied his first four holes, and then at the fifth, great touch out of the rough to two feet, would tap that in for his fifth straight birdie to start the round. 15 under, but much more brilliance to come from Thomas. On the 10th, second shot on the par five, and this is just a pure fairway medal from 260. You can't strike it much better than that. Three feet for Eagle, which he made. Thomas to 17 under. More from him in a moment, but Brant Snedeker got into this hole-out frenzy. This is his second on the par three, a wayward tee shot, but makes up for it with this unlikely hole-out. And then another par three, the 17th. Snedeker from the bunker this time, and would you believe he does it again? Who needs a putter? Snedeker, sixth at minus 12, currently inside the top 30. Back to Thomas from the rough at 14. Why not another hole-out? Thomas minus eight for the day. How could he possibly top that? Well, how about from the fairway at 16? 180 yards out, and you know it's your day when this happens. Another eagle for Thomas. 
minus 10 for the day, minus 20 for the tournament. His lead up to five and then at 17 after another great tee shot, another birdie, 11 under 61, shatters the course record, which was 63. He's at minus 21, a six-shot lead. Canadian Corey Connors is tied for sixth and currently inside the top 30. Final round tomorrow in Chicago with plenty on the line. CFL tonight, Stampeders and Alouettes from Calgary, and things got physical before the game. Punches thrown when players crossed their own side of center field. Things got testy, no ejections, but fines and suspensions sure to follow. The Owls were down, but Vernon Adams Jr. hit Jake Weineke for the touchdown. They got the two-pointer, tied it at 14, but in the fourth, Nick Arbuckle to Reggie Bagleton, a 57-yard strike. Great throw by Arbuckle, and that's the second TD of the game for Bagleton, 21-17, and then the same combination. It's Arbuckle going deep one more time to Bagleton, and this one is for 69 yards. Third TD of the game for Bagleton, 28-17 stamps. That's where they stand right, way, uh, right now, midway through the fourth. Earlier in the East, division-leading Ticats at Ottawa. Not much going until the second half. Ticats uh, backup quarterback David Watford will walk it into the end zone for the game's first touchdown, 11-1 Hamilton. Ottawa really having trouble scoring points these days. In the fourth, Dane Evans, they're a top quarterback right now to Jalen Acklin. Nice move to take it in for the TD, and the Ticats take it 21-7. They strengthen their hold on first at 7-2. Red Blacks are 3-6. and six. Welcome back. The Whitecaps made big news yesterday announcing longtime president Bob Leonard Doozy has been reassigned in the organization, making way to hire a new sporting director who would be in charge of all on-field decisions. But tonight, the focus back on the field with Wayne Rooney and D.C. United in town. Rooney's first and likely last appearance in Vancouver. Hopefully he puts on a great show. Game time at 7. We'll have highlights at 11. MLS tonight. Toronto FC at Columbus. TFC in a battle to make the playoffs. A win would get them into sixth. Late in the first half, the Canadian Jonathan Osario gives TFC the lead. Firing one from distance. 1-0 Toronto at the break. But Columbus... Tied it early and then uh, took the lead. David Akam in the 82nd, 2-1 crew. TFC in trouble, but in the 90th, they will rescue a point. Josie Altador earning his money, heading it in. Just at the 90th minute, 2-2 the final. Toronto and Columbus. English Premiership today. Big week two battle. Manchester City and Tottenham Hotspur. City strike first. Kevin De Bruyne, a great cross to the far post. Raheem Sterling meets it perfectly, heads it in. 1-0 Manchester City. Spurs respond, though, just three minutes later. Eric Lamela from distance, perfectly placed, and it's 1-1. But before half, City go back in front. Again, it's De Bruyne with the service, beautifully timed by Sergio Aguero. Those two have uh, played together some, haven't they? 2-1 City at half. But again, Spurs equalize off the corner. It's little Lucas Mora who elevates and gets his head on it. 2-2. And it stays that way until stoppage time. City has a corner and the ball bounces nicely to Gabriel Jesus who surely gives City the full three points. But don't call me Shirley just yet. Goes to VAR and it's determined there was a handball right there. Number 14, Emmerich Laporte. It's the right call, no goal, 2-2 the final, City in Spurs. And a uh, 
fatigued. Jurgen Klopp in Liverpool visiting Southampton today. Liverpool in Turkey midweek for UEFA Super Cup match. Didn't return home until late Thursday. Sadio Mane showing no signs of jet lag. Firing that one in. Great strike by Mane. 1-0 Liverpool. And they were on the right foot for their club record. 11th straight Premier League win dating back to last season. Roberto Firmino. That's given away to Mane. With a fantastic goal here, and that was the game winner as Liverpool beat Southampton 2-1, now unbeaten in 19 league games overall. Next up is Arsenal, who also won today 2-1 over Burnley. Vancouver's Guelph Park gained worldwide attention a few years ago when its name was officially changed. But a victim of its own popularity, a ceremony today to secure the new name in bronze. Kristen Robinson explains. The dude is back. The dude, for the longest time with him being absent from the park, there was a lot of people wondered what happened. The sculpture by artist Michael Dennis, first installed in East Vancouver's Guelph Park in 1991. It really does look like he's kicking back and enjoying life. You may not know it, but reclining figure is the dude behind the park's name change. The dude chilling sign initially appearing as guerrilla art in 2012. Yay! <laughs> Before the park board made it official as public art two years later. An artist with a weird sense of humor pulled a little prank at a park in Vancouver. And even though he did this as a joke, they just decided to go with it. Dude chilling gaining international attention. Shout outs from Jimmy Kimmel. And after the sign was stolen and replaced, Seth Rogen, who retweeted the park board's resume chilling message. We just pushed forward. When the original dude was looking tired after 26 years of repose, it was removed from the park in 2017 while the community fundraised. We use salt lemonade stand and people are buying it and we raise money. Enough for the aging artwork to be cast in bronze and the dude to live on. To have my work be where all kinds of people can experience it is, is very uh, uh, warming. And he hopes the dude stays grounded, unlike the sign. That's great, just so they don't steal the sculpture. <laughs> Kristen Robinson, Global News. That's nice. I love that. Permanence. Mm -hmm. Okay, before we go, another look at the clashing protests in Vancouver. Two factions voicing their concerns over the situation in Hong Kong have gathered in front of the Canada Line station on Broadway in Canby. Vancouver police are on scene along with transit staff. The crowds are thinning, but you will want to avoid that area. It looks like for some time, Jordan will have the latest on the situation coming up at 11. Thanks for joining us. Have a great night.